Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our first Napoli Femminile match after the winter break. In part 2, we'll cover the latest news around Napoli, and in part 3, we'll preview our match that is scheduled to be played on Sunday against Salernitana. So let's start with the Femenile who played Inter last Sunday. This was the first round after the very long winter break in the Serie A Femenile. It also kicked off the second half of the season. Just to refresh everyone's memory on the Femenile, we went into the winter break sitting third from the bottom of the table, which meant we were in the final relegation position. We sacked our manager Alessandro Pistolesi heading into the international break after losing 1-0 to Sassuolo. We replaced Pistolesi with two coaches, Giulia Domenichetti and Roberto Castorina, both of whom came from Florentia San Gimignano. That did not seem like a coincidence having already signed ex-Florentia general manager Marco Zingauer to replace Nicola Crisano, who stepped down from his post after the Sampdoria match. Those changes were made during the international break to give the new staff time to prepare for our two biggest matches of the season, which were against direct rivals in Empoli and Pomigliano. Unfortunately, we lost both of those matches. Empoli beat us 1-0, and Pomigliano beat us 2-1, despite playing down a player for most of the match. So we went into the international break having lost three consecutive matches. The club was very active during the break, doing their part to put Napoli in a position to stay up. We signed goalkeeper Raquel Baldi on loan from Roma. Defender Ilaria Capitanelli returned to Bari, who loaned her to us in the summer. She was replaced by Lana Golob, who was signed from Virginia Commonwealth University. Defender Francesca Impradzabile was sent to Hellas Verona on a swap deal that saw midfielder Emma Erico return to Napoli. We also secured the services of midfielder Claudia Mauri from Milan. So with two midfielders coming in, two midfielders were sent away. Maddalena Porcarelli was transferred to Brescia and Jimena Blanco was transferred to five-a-side club Spartak Cesena. In the attack, Melanie Kunrath transferred to San Marino and she was replaced by Romina Pina, who we signed from Cesena as well. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. 
Inter lined up in a 4-4-2 with Francesca Durante in goal. Kathleen Souza and Anna Sonstevold started at centre-back. Ellen Landstrom started at left-back and Beatrice Merlo started at right-back. Flaminia Simonetti and Marta Pandini started in the centre of the midfield. Gloria Marinelli played on the left side of the midfield and Gutia Carcuni played on the right. Finally, Tatiana Bonetti and Ajara Schut played together as the dual strikers. For Napoli, Domenichetti lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Yolanda Aguirre back in goal. Over the break, she recovered from the injury she suffered against Empoli in the Coppa Italia. Lana Golub made her debut for Napoli, starting alongside Emily Garnier at centre-back, relegating Paola Di Marino to the bench. Marie Awona started at left-back and Kaya Ertzen started at right-back. Claudia Mauri made her debut for Napoli as well, starting in the double pivot alongside Emma Severini. Evi Popadinova returned to full health over the break to start on the left wing, and Martina Tognolo started on the right wing. Surprisingly, Sofia Colombo started in the number 10 over our usual captain, Eleonora Goldoni. And finally, Sola James started at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. This was a really entertaining match. In fact, it was as entertaining of a round of Serie A Femenile as you could ask for. There were a couple of massive blowouts, which we'll get to in a little bit. This match was not a blowout, though. Both teams had their chances throughout the match, starting with Napoli in the sixth minute. Popidinova controlled the ball inside the Napoli half and made a great run down the left wing. She cut into her right foot and attempted a shot. It was blocked by Kathleen, but the ball fell for Tognolo at the top of the box. She touched the ball around Landstrom, but the touch was a tad too heavy and Durante was able to collect the ball just before the two of them collided. That was a great sign, though it showed that Napoli came to play. Inter responded immediately with a chance of their own. Simonetti played the ball out wide to Marinelli. She dribbled past Ertzen before crossing it into the area. The ball got through to Bonetti, who tried to pick the top corner and didn't miss by much. So both sides had excellent opportunities to score in the opening 8 minutes of the match. Ertzen had her hands full with Marinelli on that left wing. In the 13th minute, Marinelli dribbled past Ertzen again, and again her low cross got through the area, this time to Carcuni at the back post. Thankfully, Popidinova got back and did just enough to disrupt the shot. It was hard to tell if Carcuni's shot hit the upright or if she just didn't get much on the shot, but either way, Aguirre was able to collect the loose ball. Inter slowly took control of the match and took the lead just past the midway point of the half. The play started with Inter winning the ball around midfield on the long ball from Garnier. Simonetti won the second ball with a lovely touch to take it down and then she made a gorgeous turn on Colombo to start the attack. Simonetti passed to Pandini who quickly found Carcuni at the edge of the area. She controlled the ball with her back to goal, turned and fired with her left into the bottom corner to give Inter the lead. Aguirre seemed to react a little bit late, but I suspect her view was obstructed by Ertzen, who was defending Carcuni on the play, and perhaps even by Garnier, who was tracking back to help defend. Inter nearly doubled their lead from a free kick only a few minutes later. Bonetti played an outswinging free kick from the left side, and Marinelli was wide open for the header, but fortunately, she got underneath the ball and it finished well over the bar. Inter seemed to be in control of the match after the goal, but almost out of nowhere, Napoli found the equalizer. Awone played a throw-in down the line to Sole, who took the ball down nicely on her chest while cutting in towards the middle of the park. Mauri made the late run and Sole found her in space. Mauri took one touch to control the pass and then fired a gorgeous shot from about 25 yards out off the upright and into the back of the goal. That was Napoli's first shot on target, which means it was also Mauri's first shot for Napoli, 
and then of course her first goal so she made an immediate impact in her debut other than a long-range effort by Tognolo that was straight at Durante neither side created any scoring chances for the balance of the half which ended 1-1 believe it or not that was actually the less entertaining half of the two Napoli had the first chance of the second half Kathleen played the ball back to Durante Popedinova who had a great match immediately pressured her and instead of clearing the danger Durante tried to dribble past her Durante's touch was too heavy though and the ball went straight to Tognolo she calmly dribbled around the keeper and had an empty goal staring at her but somehow she hit the frame of the goal now I don't know if it was planned or if Domenichetti was just frustrated by the miss but Tognolo was immediately replaced by Goldoni Napoli came close again only a few minutes later Sole played a long ball over the top to Popadinova Merlo went shoulder to shoulder with Popedinova and inadvertently touched the ball past Durante. Credit to Merlo though, she kept her composure and cleared the ball off the line. Inter were not to be outdone though, just before the hour mark, Bonetti played a chip pass into the area to substitute Elisa Poli. She turned and blasted a shot that beat Aguirre but crashed off the bar and stayed out. That was only a minute after Poli came off the bench to replace Marinelli. Poli looked really good off the bench in the 64th minute she slipped the ball through to Simonetti at the edge of the area. She took a low shot that was bending towards the goal but just missed the far post. So only 20 minutes into the second half both sides had quality opportunities to score and the chances did not stop there. In the 66th minute Bonetti dribbled past Mauri and Severini before firing a hard shot on target but Aguirre was well positioned to make the save. With Inter pushing for the equalizer, Domenichetti replaced Ertzin with Di Marino. That gave Napoli some fresh legs at the back and it seemed to work as Napoli had the next sequence of chances in this back and forth affair. In the 75th minute, Goldoni won a free kick at the edge of the Inter area. She took the free kick herself and nearly scored. The shot took a slight deflection on the way to goal and just missed the target. Then on the ensuing corner kick, Goldoni got to the ball first but her volley missed the target as well. A few minutes later, Di Marino came close to scoring twice, again from a Napoli corner kick. First, her header was blocked in front of the goal. Then the rebound fell to Di Marino and her second effort, this time with her right boot, hit the bar, bounced off the goal line, and stayed out. Now, personally, I think the ball might have crossed the goal line, but there are not many camera angles in the women's game, nor is there goal line technology, so the score remained 1-1. Di Marino was excellent off the bench, though, her biggest contribution to the match came in the 89th minute. Carcuni played what was intended to be a cross into the area. Instead, the ball drifted towards the goal and hit the upright. Then the rebound fell for substitute Macarena Portales. She had a wide open goal staring at her, but Di Marino made an incredible diving header to block the shot that was destined for the back of the goal. As the club tweeted out, that block was just as good as a goal, which I completely agree with specifically given the context of the match. If that ball goes in, it's pretty much game over, so the Napolitana Di Marino single-handedly saved us a point. That was the final chance for either side, but that was as wild of a scoreless half as you're ever going to see. Both sides hit the frame of the goal twice, but in the end, the draw was probably a fair result. For Napoli, this was a really strong performance and a very encouraging performance, especially considering how poorly we played in those important matches before the winter break. I thought our backline looked really solid all around. While Maori stole the spotlight in her debut, Golub was very solid in her debut as well. 
and Awona also played really well at left back. She didn't play much during the first half of the season due to injuries, but judging from this performance, I think she could play a very important role in the second half of the season. This match could have gone either way, and obviously a win would have been a great result, but it was still an important point to pick up, especially because of the other results. All of the favorites won, which means all of our direct rivals lost. Juve destroyed Pomigliano 5-0. Empoli were up 1-0 over Roma until Bergeson equalized in the 84th minute. Then Roma were awarded a penalty in stoppage time, which Linari converted in the 98th minute. That was an absolutely huge result for us. If Empoli won that match, we'd be in a really tough situation. Sassuolo obliterated Fiorentina 6-1. Lana Cleland scored a poker against her former club to move up to second in the race for Capocannoniere. She's only one goal behind Diana Sabatino, who scored the lone goal for Fiorentina. With Valentina Giacinti moving over to Fiorentina, the top five goal scorers in the league play for those two clubs. Meanwhile, Milan routed Hellas Verona 6-0. Six different players scored for Milan in that match. And finally, Sampdoria beat Loli Lazio 2-1. So with the draw, we gained a point on Empoli, Pomigliano, and Fiorentina. We're now four points back of Empoli and five points back of each of Pomigliano and Fiorentina with 10 matches remaining. We have a tough match against Roma next, while Fiorentina have a tough match against Juventus. Meanwhile, Empoli play Pomigliano, which is a massive match for both of those clubs and for Napoli, so hopefully that match results in a draw. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll cover the latest news. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's cover the latest news, starting with an update on the Africa Cup of Nations. I'm recording this on Saturday, so the group stage has ended and the round of 16 has yet to begin. As far as Napoli players go, they really haven't played that many games. As you know, Victor Osiman withdrew from the tournament before it began. Adam Unas fell ill before the group stage and he did not play a single match. Algeria shockingly finished at bottom of Group E. They're one of the stronger teams in the tournament, but they drew Sierra Leone and then they were upset 1-0 by Equatorial Guinea. So they needed to beat Ivory Coast to have any chance of advancing to the knockout stage, but they lost that match 3-1. That means Algeria are eliminated from the tournament and Unas will return to Napoli. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like he's going to play anytime soon. On Friday, the coach of the Algerian national team revealed that Unas contracted COVID and that tests revealed heart anomalies, so he will need to undergo further testing before the medical staff can clear him to play. Speaking of COVID, Kaladu Koulibaly tested negative on Sunday the 16th, which meant that he was able to play Senegal's final match of the group stage after missing the first two. It wasn't his greatest performance, especially the first half, and then he kind of settled down after that and was his usual solid self. I don't really blame him for being a little bit rusty, though. The last match he played in any competition was against Sassuolo on December 1st, so he hadn't played in a month and a half. That match against Malawi finished in a 0-0 draw, which was enough for Senegal to finish top of Group B, but Senegal definitely weren't at their best during the group stage. So Osiman, Unas, and Koulibaly combined to play only one match in the group stage, which I suppose is good news for Napoli fans. 
The most active Napoli player was Frank Zamboangisa, who played the full 90 minutes in all three of Cameroon's matches in the group stage. Unfortunately, I didn't get to watch their matches against Ethiopia and Cape Verde because apparently my PVR was set to delete recordings after 24 hours, but by all accounts, he's been excellent in the Cameroon midfield. Being the host nation, Cameroon are quickly becoming one of the favorites to win the entire tournament. So that's AFCON. Meanwhile, in Serie A, we have yet another new COVID protocol that was released by the league in a circular dated January 20th, 2022. Under the new, new rules, matches will only be postponed if greater than 35% of a team's 25-man squad tests positive. If you do the math, matches will be postponed if a team has 9 or more positive cases amongst players. We'll talk a bit more about that in part 3 when we preview the Salernitana match. Let's move on to Napoli next. I'll start with some sad news, which is that ex-Catanzaro, Catania, and Napoli coach Gianni Di Marzio passed away on Saturday at the age of 82. Di Marzio is best known as the scout who discovered Maradona in 1978. As the story goes, he was scouting talent in Argentina and overheard a taxi driver talking about a young player that played for Argentinos Juniors, so he went to see Maradona play and after 15 minutes he called Argentinos Juniors top manager Setimio Aloisio and told him to take Maradona off the pitch. During that 15 minutes, Maradona scored three goals, including a free kick, and dribbled the way we know he can. Corrado Ferlaino refused to sign him, but Di Marzio maintained a strong relationship with Maradona, and of course the player signed with Napoli in 1984. So we send our sincere condolences to the Di Marzio family, which includes Gianni's son and transfer guru Gianluca. Moving on, the British website called Money put together a list of the worst football stadiums in Europe based on the average ratings given to those stadiums on TripAdvisor, Google, and Football Ground Map. Quite a few Italian stadiums were included amongst the worst in Europe, starting with Empoli's Carlo Castellani Stadium. Venezia's Pierluigi Penzo was fifth on the list, followed by Hellas Verona's Marcantonio Bentegodi. Fiorentina's supposedly historical Artemio Franchi is 10th worst in Europe, and yes, the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona is on the list as well. It ranked as the 14th worst stadium in all of Europe. In other news, Nikola Maksimovic became the latest Napoli player to be ordered by the courts to pay a fine to the club for his involvement in the mutiny of 2019. In November, Alan was ordered to pay 170,000 euros, 85,000 for the mutiny, and 85,000 for his attack on Edo. Then a few weeks later, LCT Sai was ordered to pay 40,000 euros, but he has appealed that fine, and that case will be revisited in March. On Saturday, the arbitrator ordered Maksimovic to pay a fine of 28,500 euros, which was reduced from the original amount of 48,120. If you're wondering where these amounts are even coming from, they represent 50% of the player's monthly salaries at that time. If you applied the same discount to his size salary, then he should be asked to pay 23,600 euros, and that means between the three players, De Laurentiis would collect about 222,000 euros, and I can just about guarantee that Lorenzo Insigne will be the next target. Moving on, a few of our players have given interviews over the past few days. Stanislav Lobotka spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss on Friday. He said he thought about leaving Napoli, but Spalletti has shown his belief in him and he's been able to display his qualities. He said that Spalletti does not shout as much as Gattuso did, instead he stands with his players and most importantly, he plays his players. Laboca also expressed his gratitude towards Matic Hamsik. A member of Hamsik's entourage, Martin Petras, told Kiss Kiss that Matic led the negotiations to bring Lobotka to Napoli. He added that Matic was on the phone with Cristiano Giuntoli every day for about two months and that... 
While there were many teams that were interested in Lobotka, Matic was decisive in getting Lobotka to choose Napoli. Lobotka also said that Matic defended him to fans who said that he was fat and not worth the 25 million euro price tag. He made a few additional comments, but one that stood out to me was that he said it's possible to fight for the Scudetto because they are a strong team and they know it. He knows they have points to make up, but they showed they are strong even with all the injuries. The reason that comment stood out to me is because it's very similar to a comment that Piotr Zelensky made in a very, very long interview he gave to Il Matino. He said obviously they're talking about the Scudetto in the locker room and there's nothing wrong with that. Like Lobotka, he said we have strong players who can fight until the end and he complimented Spalletti. Zielinski also spoke about playing as the number 10, having COVID, De Laurentiis, and Insigne, who he said did not discuss his move to Toronto in the locker room. He talked about the city of Napoli, his idols growing up, playing with both feet, and a few other topics. It was a really long interview. I mentioned last episode that it seemed like Zielinski didn't train with the team ahead of the Bologna match. He confirmed that he and athletic trainer Francesco Cacciapotti took the train together to Bologna. Chucky Lozano spoke to Corriere della Sera on Saturday where he said we play for the Scudetto, not hide and seek. He said the championship is long and we have to go as high as possible even if Inter and Milan are doing well. In fact, he feels player for player, Napoli have a stronger team than Inter. There seems to be a trend there of players saying that we have a strong enough team to win the Scudetto and I'm certain that is again the influence of Luciano Spalletti. When asked about being Insignia's replacement, he said Insignia has made his story at Napoli, whereas he hasn't had the time to make his story. He said he wants to play every day, but that's the coach's decision. He recognizes that above all, that depends on him. On Spalletti, Lozano said he is a motivator. He tells you that you have to work, but he also leads by example. He said Spalletti scolds him, but he knows it's because the coach is trying to push him, and he knows he can do more. My favorite part of the interview was when Lozano said that Spalletti tells him Fayel Diablo, which I love because he's mixing his Italian and Spanish, but also because Spalletti is telling him to be a devil, which is kind of like another way of saying play with Katsima. Finally, Dries Mertens gave a long interview to Corriere dello Sport where he said all the right things. I won't cover it all, but the most interesting comments pertain to his expiring contract. He said first he will wait to see if the club exercises their option to renew he knows that there are two outcomes and one is that he says goodbye. He added that when that day inevitably arrives, he will cry, Cat will cry, and even Baby Martins will cry as well. In the meantime, he will try to score as many goals as possible because then De Laurentiis will be forced to keep him. But if not, he has an ace up his sleeve. That is, he will give the club the opportunity to sign his son who has a long career ahead of him and then they won't have to give up their house or the city of Napoli. Finally, he was asked about money and he said that doesn't interest him, he's only interested in Napoli. We'll close the news with a quick update on the Mercato. It's looking more and more like we won't make any more moves in January, which isn't all that surprising to me. Many of the players we've been linked to probably wouldn't be signed until the summer anyhow. First, we need to free up some salary, which will happen with the departure of Vincinia, the likely departure of Gulam, and the possible departure or likely salary reduction of Dries Mertens. Second, we need to see if we finish in the top four, of course, because that would mean we'll have significantly more revenue in the coming season. And third, many of the players we're interested in will not likely be released by their current clubs in January. That seems to be the case with left-back Nicolas Taliafico. Ajax coach Eric Ten Hag said on Friday that he will definitely fight to keep Taliafico because he has only seven defenders, including Taliafico. Now, 
Talia Fico wants to play, which is partially why he is seeking a move. The problem is that Napoli want a loan with option to buy, and Ajax want to cash in with a permanent sale. With Mario Rui and Fauzi Gulam still on the books, it just doesn't seem to make sense for the club to purchase Talia Fico until the summer, assuming he's still available. The same applies for Getafe's Matias Oliveira. Like with Talia Fico, or any other player for that matter, Napoli are only interested in a loan with option to buy. Getafe, like Ajax, don't appear to be willing to lose their player mid-season, which means this too would be a summer market play, but this one seems like it's actually close to being completed. We've also been linked to Empoli's Fabiano Parisi and Nadim Barami. Empoli's president Fabrizio Corsi told Raffaele Auriemma of Radio Marte that they will both be difficult to keep in June. Parisi has one year left on his contract and Barami has two, so I think we can deduce from that comment that they won't be sold in January, but they will be on the market in June, especially Parisi. From that interview, it seems Corsi is quite friendly with both De Laurentiis and Spalletti, so I like our chances of signing at least one of those two players in the summer. Parisi would definitely be the prime target with Goulam and Mario Rui likely to leave Napoli this summer. Another left-back we've been linked to for a while is Reinildo Mandava, but he's been linked to many clubs. Even though his contract with Lille expires in June, Atletico Madrid are reportedly preparing a bid to take him in January. I thought we had a shot at purchasing him two winters ago, but since then I haven't been terribly confident that we'd get him. Another player that will likely be scooped up by another club is River Plate's young star Julian Alvarez. He's another player that we would have targeted in the summer. However, Argentinian TV channel Tyke Sports is reporting that Manchester City are preparing to pay River Plate's 20 million euro release clause to take the young striker in January. So those are the key players we are interested in at the moment. There have also been some updates on players that Napoli already own. Napoli, Eintracht Frankfurt, and Amin Yunus have agreed to terminate Napoli's loan to Eintracht. Now, some people think this means Yunus is returning. That's not really what's happening here. First of all, given what Claudio Russo mentioned in our bonus episode, unless we were to sell another player, we don't have room in the squad for Yunus. The player we are most likely to sell is Kevin Malqui, but it wouldn't make sense to keep Yunus as a replacement because he's an attacking midfielder and Malqui, of course, is a right back. More than likely, Yunus is going to play in Saudi Arabia. He didn't show up to training back in September after a transfer he wanted to Saudi Arabia fell through at the transfer deadline. On September 8th, the club announced on Twitter that Yunus met with sporting director Marcus Kroosh and head coach Oliver Glasner to find an amicable solution. I'm not sure why it's taken this long for the parties to terminate the contract. Some have suggested it's because Napoli were the ones who didn't want to terminate it. But now that they have, I suspect that Yunus will quickly be transferred to another club, which could well be the same Saudi club he originally sought to join. A player that could return to Napoli is Alessio Zerbin. He's currently on loan at Frosinone. Zerbin's been on fire lately prior to Friday's win over Parma. He scored five goals in three matches. He has six goals and two assists over his 14 appearances this season, only 10 of which were starts. Zerbin told Gazzetta dello Sport this week that he speaks to Giuntoli regularly and that it's his goal to return to Napoli, but it's too soon to talk about the future. Staying in Serie B, Michael Folloruncho's half-season loan to Pordenone came to an end. He was set to join league leaders Pisa, but according to Sky Sport, Regina will attempt to sign the 23-year-old midfielder. Finally, Napoli have renewed the contract of Primavera midfielder Alessandro Spavone until 2025, so between Zerbin, Folloruncho, and Spavone, it does seem like Napoli is finally starting to focus more on their young talent. 
That will do for the news. In part 3, we'll preview our match against Salernitana. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a preview of our match on Sunday against Salernitana. For the second time in three matches, we are playing against a team who has a different owner now than they did in the Girona Andata. The first was Sampdoria, whose president Massimo Ferrero stepped down after being arrested for alleged financial crimes. Meanwhile, Salernitana's former president Claudio Lotito had until December 31st to sell the club because he also owns Lazio and you're not allowed to own two clubs in the same division. It's actually a joke that he was able to hold out until the end of the year. He made a mockery of the entire system and once again the league embarrassed themselves. This deadline should have been imposed before the start of the current season, but Lotito has very good lawyers. I'm sure De Laurentiis would do the exact same thing if Badi were promoted back to Serie A. What De Laurentiis certainly would not have done is accept an offer for 10 million euros for the club, which is what new owner Danilo Iarvolino paid for the club. Now, you can look at this in two different ways. The honest way to look at the transaction is that Iervolino paid so little because Lotito was basically out of time. The more cynical view is that Lotito is still somehow involved in the background. It's not that difficult to bury the true ownership of a company after all. In either case, Iervolino is now calling the shots. He is a 43-year-old Italian entrepreneur who created the Pegaso University in Italy, which now has 60 branches across the country. On December 31st, Salernitana's trustees Paolo Bertoli and Susanna Isgro informed the Fijici that they had accepted Yervolino's offer, which included a 500,000 euro deposit up front. Yervolino also set aside 20 million euros for the club's current commitments, which included the winter transfer market. One of the first moves that Yervolino made was to appoint Walter Sabatini as the club's new sporting director. Sabatini is a veteran of the game, having held that post at multiple big clubs. At Lazio, he signed the likes of Alexander Kolarov, Valon Barami, Fernando Muslera, Steven Licksteiner, and Stefan Radu. Then he went to Palermo, where he acquired Abel Hernandez, Josip Ilicic, Javier Pastore, and Matteo Darmian. Then he replaced Daniele Prade at Roma, where he made some pretty savvy moves, including purchasing Eric Lamella and Marquinhos, who were then sold a few years later. Then those funds were used to purchase Kevin Struman, Gervinho, Morgan De Sanctis, Raja Nengolan, and Mehdi Benatia, who also was sold for double his initial price tag. That was the last big sporting director job he had. He spent a year at Inter, where he served as the technical director of both Inter and Zhengzhou Suning, and then he did the same thing for two years with Bologna and the Montreal Impact. Salernitana have been linked to a few players this winter, but they haven't pulled the trigger on any yet. They've been heavily linked to ex-Napoli goalkeeper Luigi Seppe, Venezia right-back Pasquale Mazzocchi, Roma's Federico Fazio, and Torino's Simone Verdi. According to Gazzetta dello Sport, Sabatini has also set his sights on CSK Moscow's Norwegian midfielder Emi Bohinen and Young Boys' Cameroonian striker Jean-Pierre Nsam. So it seems Salernitana are on the verge of a mini-revolution in an attempt to save their season. In the meantime, they're struggling to gather enough players to field for this match. Salernitana have been dealing with a COVID outbreak for quite some time now. They didn't play their match against Venezia on match day 20 after the Salerno ASL ordered the team to quarantine, but they played the following two matches against Hellas Verona and Lazio. On Thursday, the team had nine positive cases, which would qualify for postponement of the match based on the new protocols that we talked about in part two. 
On Friday, though, two of those players tested negative and one new player tested positive, which brought the total to eight players, which means if no more players test positive, the match will proceed as planned. Salernitana's coach Stefano Colantuono said on Friday that he doesn't understand the rules. They must play because they have only eight positive cases, but they have many players who are not in a condition to play. Those who are just returning from COVID will still have to pass the stress tests per the league's protocol, so it remains to be seen whether they will be able to play. Frank Ribéry is not fit to play, having just returned from injury, and Simi will have further evaluations after he picked up a knock. To make matters worse, Luca Ranieri is suspended for this match due to yellow card accumulation. Consequently, Colantuono said that he'll have 12-13 to 13 players available, including Primavera players, and many of those who will play are risking muscle injuries because they are not fully fit. The squad is so depleted that they did not even train on Friday. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Salernitana didn't reveal which players are positive for COVID, so I'm not even going to attempt to predict their starting 11. Instead, I'll just give you the Gazzetta dello Sport starting 11. They have Colantuono lining up in a 3-5-2 with Vid Bellets in goal. They have Frederick Vazelli, Luca Bogdan, and Filippo Delicari playing as the back three. They have Matteo Ruggeri playing at left wing back and Waya Keshrida playing at right wing back. They have Francesco Di Tacchio starting in the center of the midfield with Joel Obi to his left and Andrea Schiavone to his right. And finally, they have Federico Bonazzoli and Eduardo Vergani starting together up top. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will line up in the 4-2-3-1. Since we did not have a midweek fixture, I don't expect to see too much rotation and I do not expect us to rush back any players who recently recovered from injury. For that reason, I think Alex Meret will start again in goal, even though David Ospina returned to training this week. Ospina will play for Colombia during the international break, I'm sure. Amir Rachmani and Juan Jesus will start at centre-back. Mario Rui will start at left-back. I was very disappointed to see that he cut his hair. Giovanni Di Lorenzo will probably start at right-back, but I'd love to see Kevin Malqui start here just to give Di Lorenzo a short rest. Stanislav Lobotka and Fabian Ruiz should start in the double pivot again. I wouldn't mind seeing Diego Demis start so he can play some minutes and so Lobotka could rest. I think Chucky Lozano will be awarded with a start after scoring twice against Bologna. With Matteo Politano out of form, I think Lozano will start on the right wing and Elif Elmas will start again on the left wing. Like Ospina, Lorenzo Insigne should be available for this match but there's no need to rush him back and risk aggravating his injury. Piotr Zelinski will start in the number 10, and I think we'll see Dries Mertens start again at striker. Victor Osman is eager to play, but I hope he starts on the bench as well. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's review our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to be ruthless. It's very easy to look at this match and take the result for granted. That's exactly when things go wrong. I want to see a team that is focused I want to see a team that plays our style of football. I want to see Vid Bellets get peppered with shots. I want to see a lot of goals scored, and I want to see no goals conceded. The last time we played against Salernitana, their fans showed up with garbage bags with the Napoli logo on it. I don't know how much the players care about something like that, but I know our fans care, so hopefully the players have that in the back of their minds. They should also remember that the last meeting was more of a struggle than it should have been, we won that match only 1-0 on a goal from Piotr Zielinski, but it was far from our best performance. My second key to the match is that we need to be prepared to beat the low blocks. Lernitana are definitely going to sit back and defend. 
They'll drop those two wing backs and defend with a five-man back line. I think they'll be content to allow our back line to pass the ball side to side amongst themselves. If we play our game though, this really shouldn't be an issue. I expect to see Fabian and Lobotka drop deep to retrieve the ball from the defenders. I think we'll see triangles, lots of short quick passes, and lots of movement off the ball. The reality is Salernitana just aren't a strong team. You add that they could have some Primavera players in the squad, and I just don't see them being able to keep up with us. My final key to the match is to make runs behind the Salernitana backline. We saw Lazio have a lot of success doing this in their 3-0 victory over Salernitana last round. All three of Lazio's goals came from runs in behind. The first goal started with a long ball to Milinkovic-Savic in behind. He played a backheel to Immobile and Immobile finished. The second goal started with a long ball from Milinkovic-Savic this time to Pedro who made the run in behind on the wing. He picked out Immobile in front of the goal for his second goal of the match. The final goal started with a run by Felipe Anderson down the wing, so it wasn't in behind, but in all three cases, Lazio took advantage of the space that they were afforded. He played Manuel Lazzari through, and the right back beat Belletz. The late run was another common theme on all three goals, so not only do we have to make the runs into space, we also need to have players supporting that run. If we do that, and if we hit the target, then I don't think we'll have much of a problem scoring goals. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 4-0 Napoli win. I'll give Dries Mertens two goals and I'll give the other two to Fabian and Zielinski. Maybe I'm the one taking this result for granted, but there is just a huge gap in quality between these two sides. Napoli are getting healthier by the day. We no longer have any COVID cases. Most of our players have recovered or are close to being back. When this team is healthy, Napoli is one of the strongest teams in all of Serie A, we finally have some depth options available to us. If Lozano or Elmas are struggling, we can bring Politano in off the bench. If we're struggling to score, we have Osimhen and Patania. If Lobotka or Fabian are looking sluggish, we have Deme. We even have a little bit of depth at center back now with Twanzebe on the bench. So in my mind, there is no reason why we shouldn't get this win. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do for this episode, but before I let you go, be sure to check out our latest Napolitan Song of the Week, which is now up on our Twitter page. This week's Song of the Week is Vulesse Vulasse by Nut and Alessio Solo from the album L'Orso Namorato. I absolutely love this album. Those two artists also did a live show together in 2019 called Solo and Nut, L'Orso Live. My favorite song in that show is called Anascuso, featuring probably my favorite Napolitan artist, Simon Abu. So that is where I'll leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also support the show by subscribing to our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash pod. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back next week to review the Slurney Tana match, and I've got a couple of things planned for the international break, so stay tuned for that. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.